Burnout. <laughs> Burnout. Is that a real thing? Can it occur? Have you experienced it? Too much, coming too fast, all at once. No rest for the weary. Maybe it's when you were in college, maybe it was medical school, maybe it's the job you're currently in. I know when we go to ministers' meetings, often I can see pastors that are experiencing burnout. I can relate to that. There are times in my ministry I feel burned out, used up, consumed. And sometimes they'll say things like, I'm overly fatigued, I can no longer function, I'm running on fumes. And maybe you can relate, burnout. The University of Michigan in Ann Arbor did something that was new and innovative in their library, which is open 24-7. They have a piling nap station, six vinyl cots, and disposable pillowcases, and you can only stay for 30 minutes at a time and get that power nap and continue on. Burnout. Another chief executive from a multi-billion dollar corporation said this, I just felt no matter what I was doing, I was always getting pulled somewhere else. It seemed like I was always cheating someone, either my company or my family or myself. I couldn't truly focus on anything. Burnout. Some people refer to it in other ways. Our title for this sermon is Marginless Living. In case you're wondering, marginless is not in the dictionary, but you get the idea. All of us have books and Bibles and those types of things, but if you don't have any margin, it can be challenging for your eyes. It might look something like this. Have you ever gotten a letter where they didn't use any margin? They used every scrap of that piece of paper to write you something. No margin. Margin is defined here, the part of a page received outside the main body of printed or written matter, a border or limit. And so we all are accustomed to having some type of margin that makes it easy on the eye and friendly. And sometimes our lives don't have any margin. Every single piece of the page is crammed with something. Marginless living. In this book entitled Margin, Dr. Richard Swenson says this, Marginless is fatigue. Margin is energy. Marginless is red ink. Margin is black ink. Marginless is hurry. Margin is calm. Marginless is anxiety. Margin is security. Marginless is culture. Margin is counter culture. Marginless is the disease of the new millennium, yet margin is its cure, according to Richard Swenson. What do you think? Is there margin in your life? Or is your life packed so full that when another phone call comes in, you say, I don't have another crack to squeeze it into. I don't know what I'm going to do. And that can lead to stress. Here in this graph, I don't know if you can read all of the ways that stress impacts the mind and behavior, emotions and body, everything from headaches to being accident prone, to being less confident, to worrying, and the list goes on and on and on. Our body suffers when there's no margin. 
It suffers when we are in a place of burnout. And all that's driving all of these things that are affecting our body, I wonder, in fact, how many of the things that our doctors are seeing on a day-to-day, regular basis are based on burnout, are based on no margin in their lives, are based on what's behind all of this, stress. And it comes out in these other ways. Dr. Swenson says, the symptom is pain, the diagnosis is overload, the prescription is margin, and the prognosis is health. How do we make margin in our lives? How do we find that balance between staying busy, being productive, and not taking on too much to where our health and our family, and our marriage, and our relationship with God, and our impact in the community, all of that can suffer, and the devil knows this, and so he does everything he can to get us stressed out, to be living a marginless life. Charles Swindoll says this in his book, Intimacy with the Almighty, noise and words, frenzy, hectic schedules, dull our senses. Have you noticed that? They close our ears to his still small voice and make us numb to his touch. Have mercy. Hectic schedules make us numb to the touch of God. Busyness, lack of margin, dull our spiritual senses. And the problem's not getting any easier to manage. You are connected. You are available. You, people have access to you 24-7 by a multiple variety of mediums. Someone said this, superficiality is the curse of our age. Our greatest need is not for more intelligent people or more gifted people, but for more deep people. I believe superficiality is the curse of our age. That busyness crowds out that still small voice. And individuals who have a deep spiritual experience that really know God and have let him fully transform their lives are very few and far between. And the world will never, I believe, be changed by superficial Christian experiences. They're not going to be changed by people that have a superficial surface experience with God. It's not going to happen. If you brought your Bibles, I want to turn to Revelation chapter 2, where we have the seven churches, and this is the first of the seven churches spoken of here in Revelation chapter 2, and while you're turning there, I'll remind you that Ephesus represents the first 70 years of the church. The Greek word Ephesus itself means desirable, and one of the best preserved ancient cities of the Bible is Ephesus. Maybe some of you have been there and seen some of the ruins. Population is thought to be about 150 to 20,000 living in it. The way that they calculate that is they take a look at the stadium and they say that the stadium can hold somewhere between 50 and 20,000. You multiply that by 10 and you have the population of the city. There were large mansions on the hillsides, and in these mansions, archaeologists tell us that they had heated floors. Hot water pipes running through the floors and the walls. And some of these homes were 10,000 square feet. Some were even 20,000 square feet. And it was homes where the educated and the elite, 
mansion-like, even palatial-type homes. And their library had 15,000 volumes. Ephesus was a place to be. There was a reason the word meant desirable. And so we read there in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things, says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Verse 2, I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them to be liars. The angel says, I know your works. I know your labor. Now, in Greek, labor there is mean to labor, to extend yourself to the point of exhaustion. Toiled until worn out. And he says, I know your labor. So the church of Ephesus, or represented here in Ephesus, worked to the point of exhaustion. They maintained theological truth. But here's the problem in verse 4. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Their love for Christ had cooled. And that's a sad commentary when duty overshadows devotion. When doing becomes more important than being. They were informed, but not transformed. What they did for Christ had surpassed who they were in Christ. Their work for Christ had become more important than their relationship with Christ. Busyness had crowded out what was most essential, their first love. They were on the borders of burnout, marginless living. I want to look at two other examples in the Bible of this idea of busyness, of burnout. One's in the Old Testament, one's in the New. I have them here on the screen for you. First one's found in 1 Kings chapter 20. And here the prophet is telling the story to a king. And he uses a parable to tell that story. The king is told by God to take Hadad and to take him captive, but actually the king lets him go. And so this prophet comes to the king with this illustration to make a point, much like Nathan does with King David. And we read about it here in verse 39. It says, guard this man. If he is missing, it will be your life. While your servant was busy here and there, the man disappeared. Oh, that's the next one. While your servant was busy here and there. The point of this story is very easy and simple to see. Busyness causes you to lose something and to lose something very important. Busyness. I'm hurrying. I'm going. I'm going here. I'm going there. I'm looking here. I'm looking there. And I lose a sense of priority and what's most important. And that's what busyness causes us to do, to lose something. For my priorities to get mixed up to rob me of my true purpose. The other one I want to look at is in the New Testament, Luke chapter 2. You know this story well. It says, as they returned, this is after they came for Passover, the boy Jesus, 12 years old, lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. They were busy. They were making meals, preparations. They were talking with friends and with family. They were making sure they had everything. And so they continue on. 
But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. Have you seen Jesus? I thought he was with you. No, he's not been with me. I thought he was with you. So when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple. How would you like that, parents? You go home from church today. Elizabeth, did you take Lauren with you? No, I thought you took Lauren with you. Well, where is she? Three days later, here's Lauren. Three days. And he's sitting in the midst of the teachers. Desire of Ages says this, By one day's neglect, they lost the Savior. But it cost them three days of anxious search to find him. There's something in there for us, folks. In one day, we can lose that precious relationship. In fact, she goes on. So with us, by idle talk, evil speaking, or neglect of prayer, we may in one day lose the Savior's presence, and it may take many days of sorrowful search to find him and regain the peace that has been lost. Busyness. I don't have time today. Maybe tomorrow. And we can lose something very valuable. When the busyness of life seems to overwhelm us, several things happen. We lose our focus. The events of the present seem to overwhelm us. We lose purpose. We fail to see the larger picture. Also, we become physically, mentally, emotionally exhausted and spiritually drained. We say and do things we later regret. regret. Our nerves are on edge. We're frazzled. We speak out in ways that are not normal for us. And thirdly, we tend to neglect prayer and Bible study and devotional life suffers. And we rush through life. Ministry of Healing, page 58, says we must individually hear him speaking to our heart. In that quiet space, on your own, individually, when every other voice is hushed and the quietness we wait before him, the silence of the soul makes more distinct the voice of God. Have you heard the voice of God lately? Or has there been too much commentary, too much news, too much whatever else? Amidst a hurrying throng and the strain of life's intense activities. Does that describe your life? He who thus refreshed he who is thus refreshed will be surrounded by an atmosphere of light and peace. Doesn't that sound nice? So what's the answer? In the minutes that remain, I want to look very quickly at eight practical steps to keep your spiritual life revitalized and renewed. Eight things. And if you want to take notes, great. And I would hope that if you try some of these things, maybe you're already doing some of these things, but if not, hopefully by doing these things, you can revitalize and renew your spiritual walk. Is that not the most important thing? I mean, we can come here, we can learn all kinds of wonderful information and knowledge, but if we lose our first love, we're just a clanging cymbal. We're just a noisemaker. And I think it's fair to say that the, the battle is won or lost in the morning. 
So here we go, eight practical steps. And I want these to be practical. Number one, consecrate yourself to God every single morning. Make that your first work. In fact, even saying that, many of you are thinking of this quote. It's one of my favorites from Steps to Christ, page 70. Consecrate yourself to God in the morning. Make this your very first work. Before you get out of bed, before you go to the next room, before you shuffle here or shuffle there, consecrate yourself to God. Let your prayer be, take me, O Lord. This is worth memorizing, by, by the way. Take me, O Lord, as holy thine. I lay all my plans at your feet. Use me today in your service, in thy service. Abide with me and let all my work be wrought in thee. There's so much there. I'm laying myself down. I'm laying my plans down. I'm laying my agenda down. And I'm saying, Lord, I want you to take over. I want it to be your plan today, your agenda today. I want you to empower me today to, to follow what you would have me to do. And that's it. And then comes the acceptance of the fact that I'm going to do my best in that day. And God has promised that he will be faithful. Great is thy faithfulness. He will make happen in the day what needs to happen. That's it. Too often I come home and Elizabeth says, how was your day? Oh, what happened? Well, I was going to do this and this and this and this and this. Well, did you not do it? No. I got called over here and called over here and then I had to do this and I had to do that and that was unexpected and this was unexpected and I didn't get to do any of my own stuff. Lord, make myself holy thine. I lay all my plans at your feet. God says, your plans were garbage today. I'm going to re redo it. Your agenda was no good. Your ideas, I'm sorry. And so I start to live my life looking for divine appointments, looking for his guiding hand, looking for how he might want to change my agenda. And this is the first prayer I need to pray. This is a daily matter. Each morning, consecrate yourself to God for that day. Surrender all your plans to him to be carried out or given up as his providence shall indicate. So before you get out of bed, before you start your devotion even, it's not a waste of time, but rather the very catalyst that enables me to spend my time wisely because God knows better than I know. It keeps me focused in life. And spending time with God will help me be grounded physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. It will restore me. So that's number one. Number two, use the Bible as subject matter for prayer. We've heard often, speak to God as to a friend, and that's good. But it's challenging. How many of you have had long conversations with a friend that doesn't talk? How are you today? I'm going to take your silence to mean you're having a rough day. What do you want to do later? I mean, you can only carry on that conversation for so long. So I would say, rather than to just simply make it all a one-sided conversation, use the Bible as subject matter for prayer, because I believe God speaks to us through his word. And so take his word and pray it back to him. Here's a quote that I like, our high calling, page 130. Learn to pray aloud where only God can hear you. Do you have a place like that? 
Maybe you might say, no, I got kids running through the house and they're all up early and if I talk out loud, they're going to be up even earlier. Do you have a car? Do you go drive any place by yourself? Turn off the radio. Don't make phone calls. Every minute in the, in, in the car, but spend some time in prayer. Learn to pray aloud or only God can hear you. Pray through the book of Psalms. Psalm is a great book to pray through, by the way. Psalm chapter 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners. Lord, I want to be a blessed man today. I don't want to walk in the counsel of these ungodly people. I want to follow your way. I want to delight, it says, verse 2, in the law of the Lord. Help me to know what that means to delight in the law of your Lord, of my Lord. I'll be like a tree planted by the water. Lord, I know in this time of drought, in this time of spiritual drought, I will not survive unless I have a taproot into the creek that's going right by. And Lord, you have not just planted, you have transplanted me by that water. So no matter what happens around me, I will always have a full supply of your goodness and your grace to empower me. Go through the Psalms. Pray through one a day. And pray it back to the God and see what happens. Epistles work well for that too. Okay, we're going to keep going. Number three, as you read scripture, see with a pencil. See with a pencil. Circle, underline, write text in the margin. Let the Bible be a journal for you. If he really touched you in a certain verse on a certain day at a certain time, write it in the margin. If a word stands out to you, circle that word. Now, some people get sophisticated with this, with all kinds of colors and all the rest. That's fine. You do whatever you need to do. But even with a pen or a pencil, mark it up. Make it yours. Make it mean something to you. So, see with a pencil. Number four. You can think of Vim if that helps you. Visualization, identification, and meditation. Vim means strength or vitality. And this works especially well in the Gospels. Visualization. What do I see here? What is going on in this story? Can I see it? Identification. How do those in the Bible feel? What feelings, what emotions are they trying to process at this moment? And what would I feel if I were a disciple in the boat? If I were the widow? And so I'm visualizing the storm all around me. I'm visualizing the fear on the disciples' face who are fishermen that grew up on the water, who are looking at this storm saying, this is our last storm. We're scared half to death. And I'm visualizing looking over at Jesus and he's asleep. And we're about to go down. How am I feeling? I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling burned out. I'm feeling like there's no margin in my life. And I look to Jesus and he's asleep and he stands up. And what does he say? Peace be still. And as I visualize and I identify, then I start to meditate. What does this mean to me? Jesus is telling me to be still and know that he's in control in the midst of my storm. So visualize, identify, meditate. See what the lesson is for you. Number five, have a specific reading plan. Don't generate it at the time that you wake up in the morning. I don't know what I'm going to read today. That's not helpful. Have your Bible properly placed by your bed. Some people say throw it under your bed so that you have to get on your knees first. That's okay. 
but have it readily available and have a plan. What am I going to do? Do I have a reading plan? Am I going to go through the Gospels? Am I going to go through Desire of Ages? What am I going to do on a daily basis? Take some time. Prayerfully consider what is my plan. And then go through that. Sometimes people ask, well, how much time do you spend? In Bible study, how much time do you spend in prayer? I'm not so much concerned. Sometimes we get this idea, well, if I spend an hour in Bible study, I'm more holy than if I only spend 30 minutes. I'm not so concerned with the time as if you are connecting with God. Some mornings it might take you two hours to really feel that connection. Sometimes maybe in 20 minutes he just hits you with something and you say, wow. But if you don't know where to start, I would say start with the gospel. Start with the desire of ages. Number six, summarize the book and chapters within a book. Now what is this? This works great for the epistles of Paul. So you might read through the epistle, and you're not going dissecting as much. You want to get the whole read through, and you want to identify what is the theme throughout this book. And then you might want to summarize each of the chapters of that book. So, for example, Philippians. You might say the, the theme of Philippians is joy. Used 27 times throughout the book. Philippians. Chapter 1. Joy in trials. Write it in your Bible. Joy in trials. Chapter 2, joy in humility. Chapter 3, joy in surrender. Chapter 4, joy in gratitude. And so that's another thing that can be done. Summarize the book and chapters within a book. And sometimes you'll see something bigger that emerges that you didn't know was there. Number seven, repurpose time wasters. Did I spell that right? Anyway, repurpose time wasters. Maybe you have a commute. Maybe it's a long commute. Maybe it's a short commute. And instead of grumbling about the traffic and being frustrated at at how long this is taking and all the rest, repurpose that time. Say, Lord, every time I commute into work, that's going to be my prayer time. I'm going to pray out loud. Lord, every time I'm on my way to work, I'm not going to listen to the radio. I'm going to listen to a sermon. I'm going to listen to the Bible. I'm going to try and memorize Scripture. I'm going to put a little sticky note. I'm going to put it there on my, you know, someplace on my dash. And I'm going to memorize. Well, I'm not a memorizer. Well, you can just find some small section that will empower you in in huge ways that you can just put on your dash and just one for the whole week. That'd be 52 verses a year. Or 56. Enough. Repurpose. Time wasters. A few of my favorite of these are Audioverse. I don't know if you're familiar with Audioverse. It's an Adventist website with Adventist sermons uh, from anybody from uh, Mark Finley, Stephen Bohr. uh, I don't know. You name it, most of them are there. And you can go and you can find by speaker. You can find by title. You can find by what people are are being blessed at the moment. And just type in Audioverse. You can do it on your computer. They have apps for your your iPhone, your, your Android, and you can... Find a sermon, you can download it in a Wi-Fi area, and you can listen to it. And then when you close your app or you get a phone call, then you open it back up. Do you want to continue listening? Yes, I do. Well, maybe that speaker talks too slow. They just did an update. Now I can listen to them that one and a half times or even two times as fast, and they can be featured really fast the whole time, and I can hear it the whole time, and I can follow it, and I can be done by the time I get there. But you're feeding on God's Word, right? So if you don't have that app, go get it. Check it out. The other one is Scripture Typer. 
probably can't do that one going down the road as much. And Pastor Hyman's talked about that. Memorizing scripture. You're standing in line at the post office or wherever else, you're memorizing a verse or reviewing a verse. All right. Uh, here's what you'll see if you go to the Audioverse website and speakers and so on. <clears throat> Check it out. Number eight, develop a small prayer and Bible study group. Develop a small prayer and Bible study group that meets maybe just an hour a week. There are groups that are already formed that you could join if you want to join one of those groups or start your own group. I was blessed in high school with four individuals. At times it was just three of us that would get together of my peers. I, I'm trying to remember if it was a Tuesday night, a Wednesday night, a Thursday night, I don't remember, but one night out of every week we would meet there on the campus of Southern Adams University. We'd go into Brock Hall and we'd spend an hour in Bible study and that was the high point of my week. Sharing challenges, prayer requests, updates, getting into God's word and seeing him speak to us as we really went through and processed these passages. Powerful. And that starts to become an accountability group. It starts to become a group that prays for you when you're in distress and all of these things. Develop a small prayer and Bible study group. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all you who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Friends, when we're burned out, when we're maxed out, when we're living a marginless life, the devil wins. He wins in our homes. He wins in our marriages. He wins with our kids. He wins in our ministry and in the church. He wins. But if we can maintain and hang on to that first love and make that a priority each and every day, and follow some of these. Maybe not all of them are for you, but if you follow one or two of these and just pray, Lord, use this to strengthen my spiritual walk. Empower me through these simple methods to experience you in a fresh way. I believe he will. The promise continues, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray for the man, for the woman, for the individual in this church that's stressed out, that's experiencing burnout, fatigue. They feel like they're running on fumes. Lord, I pray that you will help them to carve out time to redistribute some of the time, to reallocate it, to put into place some of these spiritual disciplines that we may be refreshed. I pray for that person that they will find peace for their souls, power to meet the challenges that they are facing, and hope in Jesus Christ, whose name we pray. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.